0: This podcast is offered by Jokoji Zen Center, on the web at
1: jokoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning from Jokoji, everyone. Good morning, good morning, and good morning, Kokio. Um, I've been tasked to introduce you, Kokio, but... Uh, I don't, I don't think you need much introduction. You're kind of famous in this neighborhood. Um, just a little bit, uh, Kokyo is a uh, a teacher and Buddhist scholar who is uh, a disciple of uh, Rev Anderson and a uh, former uh, guiding teacher at Santa Cruz Zen Center, and now, now you're in in some strange mountain retreat. Is that right, Kokio?
2: That's right. I'm in uh, Crestone, Colorado. Please
1: welcome everyone, Kokio Henkel, Luminous All. Thank you for joining us.
2: How about we start with uh, coming into accord with reality if we're not already? coming into accord with the way. After all, our founder, Dogen Zenji, begins his Zazen instructions by saying that the way is originally perfect and all pervading. That's the Zazen instructions of our school. We could elaborate um, a little bit more, if you'd like, since we're here anyway. We spent our whole life Paying attention to experiences. We can't help it. That's what we do. And uh, even when we're so-called distracted, we're paying attention to some experiences, maybe other than the ones we're intending to pay attention to. That's why we call it distraction. So then we... um, we meditators, and choose different experiences to pay attention to that are more stable. But um, but today, just um, for fun, let's um, let's try a kind of practice that's not paying attention to experiences. That might sound like a strange thing for some meditators, because isn't isn't mindfulness all about paying paying attention to our experience? Uh, So this might be a, a little bit different kind of mindfulness. We can ask ourselves Is awareness present right now? Are we aware? Are we experiencing? It's another way to put it. I would propose. And imagine that, that everybody here is experiencing. We can check for ourselves. Are we experiencing? This is the uh, <clears throat> practice we sometimes call in Zen, turning the light around and Shining back. Not checking um, on the experience that's happening, but checking to see if we are experiencing. Can you see how they're, although a bit different? We can uh, not really pay attention to our experience right now, our experience of uh, the body sitting here, our experience of physical sensations, our experience of breathing and thinking uh, temporarily, um, uh Release the attention from these experiences, and and ask ourselves, are we experiencing? And of course, this experiencing, also called awareness, is not um, it's not another experience, and it's not something that we can grasp with our mind. It's not an event. And yet, we are all experiencing. It's undeniable, is it not? How ordinary, how extraordinary to uh, just be aware of being aware. As we get more used to knowing that we are aware and being aware of being aware and uh, just being this experiencing, we can inquire, we can start to examine the nature of this experiencing. For example, Did this experiencing arise at the moment that we asked ourselves, Am I experiencing? Or was it already here? Seems to me it was it was already here. But I was paying attention to experiences. Like thoughts and feelings, and so on. So, I just didn't notice it was here, but it almost seemed like it popped into view. But, but, um, we can inquire and, uh, and, uh, examine was this experiencing already here? It didn't even change at all. It's just that, um, uh, we withdrew the attention from the experiences a bit to notice the experiencing. Could it be that experiencing actually uh, never arises because it it never begins? It it's, um it's always been the case. Now that might sound kind of strange. You might feel like. Well, um, like what about um, when I woke up this morning? It's a little bit like, it seems a little bit like experience, experiencing began um, when I woke up and I wasn't experiencing before then. But uh, if we examine more closely, it seems to me that um, maybe there was a little bit of experiencing, um, I say a little bit, but uh, like we're a little bit in touch with experiencing even before we woke up, which is why even if we're deeply asleep and the alarm rings, something experiences the alarm, the sound of the alarm clock. Which seemed like some evidence that, that they may be experiencing even when we're deeply asleep dreamlessly, deeply asleep. It's just, a, it's just um, that the experience of deep sleep is different than the experience of waking life. But could it be that the, the same experiencing as right now was present um, in deep sleep and, and, uh, and heard, the sound of the alarm clock. And then the experiences of consciousness shifted and the sense organs opened, the eyes and ears open and we call it waking from sleep. So um, this is something we can examine. We can spend some time with uh, um, questioning whether this awareness, this, this ordinary experiencing, um, ever arises, ever arose. We can also inquire whether it ever ceases. Another, another way to reexamine this is to ask ourselves, have we ever experienced this awareness arising or ceasing? Have we ever experienced... The, the beginning or end of experiencing have we ever experienced that and we I think we have to say no it's an, if if experiencing was there at the end of experiencing then um, it wouldn't be the end okay? it'd still be experiencing would still be happening therefore it's 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 um, logically and actually impossible to experience the cessation of experiencing, the cessation of basic awareness. Again, we might feel like, well, what about when we fall asleep at night? But um, have you ever experienced the moment where experiencing ends? That's impossible, right? It's impossible to... Um, actually experienced the ending of experiencing. So, um, though it may sound strange, it may be worth uh, questioning whether experiencing really ever begins or ends. Now what does begin and end is experiences. They're constantly arising and ceasing, beginning and ending. Uh, we can take time with this um, when we have some time. We can, we can examine whether experiencing ourisms to begin or end, or is it like beginningless, endless kind of expanse like space doesn't begin or end. Similarly, we can examine for ourselves, does this experiencing awareness have any location? Does it abide anywhere? And uh, it might feel at first like, well, it isn't it um, somehow in the body or in the head, pervading the, the head or the body? But if we look more closely and, we're, and, we're, and we uh, are quite rigorous with distinguishing the difference between experience and experiencing, then we can say that sense of location in the body or the head is an experience. And what is experiencing this sense of location? Experiencing. Awareness. So if we have some sense of location, see how that shifts into an, what we could call an experience. And the, and the um, awareness or experiencing of a sense of location, itself has no location. So again, we can spend some time examining our own experiencing in this way. And and again, I would emphasize, I think it's really helpful uh, in this kind of investigation to um, pay close attention to the difference between an experience, which is an object of awareness, which is an event in time and space and location that arises and ceases, which includes thoughts, physical sensations, sounds, sights, and emotions, and so on. These are experiences. They come and go, but uh, can we distinguish this experiencing of them which again is not something we can get a hold of because it's not an experience and yet it's undeniably present. So um, here comes the kind of clincher if we're, if we're kind of warming up to this kind of exploration. Uh, does this experiencing, this being aware, this, this very awareness does it have any discontent? Does it have any hope or fear? Again, to carefully distinguish that what we call discontent, meaning like kind of dissatisfaction with what's happening, it's a kind of feeling of resistance, right? But that is an experience and hope is a kind of um, experience and fear is an experience so these these are experiences we may be having right now a little bit of feeling like things aren't perfect or a little bit of hope or a little bit of fear or disappointment or any of these experiences we may be having. Uh, Can we, at the same time, be aware of the experiencing of these thoughts and emotions and sensations? And then ask Does this experiencing, does this awareness itself have any discontent? Can it be discontent? Can this awareness ever be dissatisfied? Can this awareness actually hope for anything better? Can this awareness ever fear anything worse? And we can come to see that there is an awareness that's unchanging, we confirmed. It's a very ordinary awareness, very plain and ever-present awareness that's not arising and ceasing. It's not coming and going. We, we can't experience it coming and going. It has no location. It has no, no edges or center. These are locations. And particularly. And quite startlingly, this um, very awareness is incapable of uh, discontent, of suffering, of hope, of fear, right at the very same time that discontent, the, the feeling of discontent is arising and ceasing. The experiences of hope and fear are arising and ceasing. It doesn't negate those at all. Right? Experience, experiencing, and experiences are um, are inseparable, actually, but we can distinguish the difference right now. And, I th- and it's very unusual to examine experiencing in this way. I think maybe most people would never occur um, to them to do such a thing because um, because we're so conditioned to focus on experiences, the good ones and the bad ones, the discontent and the contentment, the, the hope and the fear and the joy and the sorrow. Uh, this is what we spend our entire life um, attending to and trying to make the best of. But uh, we have, we as humans, have this possibility to um, turn the light around and discover uh, this ungraspable, kind of actually mysterious yet ordinary, ever-present being aware, and and particularly, one might um, conclude here that um, the importance, maybe the main importance of this discovery is that, wow, there is an awareness here that never suffers, even while I, the person, have an experience of suffering. And, um, this, and this awareness that we're speaking of is not some like vague metaphysical idea, something that is in the sutras and, uh, and that has no you know, relevance to our actual life. It's our awareness right now, right? It's always available not even really available. It's always present. You could say it's always available to um, be aware of. And uh, so the implications here are vast, right? Because it puts our experiences of discontent and hope and fear in a completely different light It's not that they go away, but um, we we can have a new relationship with them. We can even go a step further here uh, and and examine, does this awareness uh, manifest within itself as experiences? That might be a strange way of talking. Does this experiencing express itself within itself as discontent and hope and fear and joy and such events? I say, um, manifest within itself because we already determined that uh, awareness has no location, therefore no boundaries. It's, it's um, all-inclusive. We can confirm experientially. So if it's all-inclusive, these experiences can't be outside of it. It's not like awareness has a, is like a bubble with a border around us or something. It's um, it's like space, which has no center or edges, and therefore experiences like like hope and fear, for example, are actually arising, we could say, within awareness, within this experiencing. It's a a different sort of framework, it's a different, um, way of looking at uh, exper- our, our moment-to-moment experience, that it's arising within this space called experiencing. We can try it on. And it kind of makes sense. To me, it makes sense that if, if this awareness is, is um, like space and that it's, space is unlocated and has no center or periphery, uh, experiencing is also like that within it arises physical sensations, thoughts, colors and sounds and so on. We can try on this, this um, way of looking at our own experience. And if, if, these, if these experiences like hope and fear are arising within Awareness, then are they something other than the awareness? That doesn't really make so much sense either. So this might be getting a little. If you haven't heard this kind of thing before, it might sound a little unusual. But um, we could say that, say, a thought arising within awareness is it's experienced, right? Right now, there's a thought arising within this vast space we call experiencing. Now, is, um, and and this thought that's arising right now, this experience called the thought, we're aware of it, right? We're experiencing the thought. You could say there's content of the thought, but also there's just the pure experiencing of the thought at the same time. There must be. Otherwise we wouldn't know that we're thinking. We must be aware of the thought at the same time as the thought is doing its thing. We must be experiencing the thought. And we can say, um, can we find some thought other than the experiencing of it? Can we find some, or take take a physical sensation might be even easier than a complicated thought. Take a, the feeling of sensation of your um, your bottom of your body sitting on a cushion or a chair. That sensation is an experience. But can we find any uh, any sensation there other than the experiencing of it, other than the awareness of it? Again, we usually think, no, that's an actual, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a tingling sensation. Yes, that's the experience of a tingling sensation. But there is an, there's a knowing of that, there's an experiencing of that, there's an awareness of that. Are these two different things? Is there an experiencing of a tingling sensation and then a tingling sensation? No. It's one, reality, Right. And really, bottom line is that there's an experiencing of the sensation of, the, of this tingling feeling. Let's not assume that there's some, um, some thing other than the experiencing of it. So that's why we then we can make this strange statement like experiencing manifests within itself as experiences. Or awareness manifests or expresses itself within itself as events and thoughts and sensations and so on. It's a very different perspective than we're usually used to. But it uh, seems to me like it holds up experientially. And, um, and again, the implications of this are profound. If, if we see that, say this experience of fear that's arising in this, in this ocean of experiencing, the experiencing of fear is actually nothing other than the experiencing of fear. It's, um, it's nature, the nature of fear is nothing other than experiencing awareness, taking the form of a particular experience. And remember, um, if we go back a little bit now, and if we were able to confirm that experiencing itself Never changes. It's just, it just keeps manifesting as different experiences. If this unchanging experiencing is incapable of suffering, then this experience of suffering, say fear, the nature of that experience is total freedom from suffering. The nature of fear, the nature of excruciating pain is nothing other than awareness experiencing. And this awareness experiencing itself is always free. It's just experiencing. It's, it doesn't have any preferences of pleasure over pain and so on. So the nature of the pain is just pure experiencing, free from um, discontent. Now um, that's a lot there to, to uh, investigate. But we can, y- you get the idea. We can we can spend our time, if we like, doing such things. Personally, it's my favorite pastime. Although I often forget, and I because I I get involved in experiences of hope and fear and so on. Uh, but um, as a practice, we can um, just start deeply investigating the nature of our own experiencing. It's not exactly a meditation. I mean, we can call it a meditation. It's not, it's not the kind of meditation that's concentrating on the present experience because it's actually more focused on experiencing it's, it's kind of hard to do because we're still used to attending to experience DES. But um, here's a uh, kind of saying from one of our Zen ancestors that, that supports, I think, this, this type of so-called practice. This is um, uh, Chinese ancestor Shuto. Or Sekito Kisen, in Japanese, whose um, poem that we just recited at at uh, service earlier this morning, um, the, the harmony of difference and equality, was written by this this teacher Shuto or Sekito. He says, so he's part he's you know part of our Soto lineage um, that carries on today at Yakoji he says my lineage this lineage our lineage is a transmission received from past buddhas it arrives directly at buddha's awareness and insight without need for meditative concentration or striving effort meditative concentration is sort of like jhana in In uh, Sanskrit, that's we say Zen, in um, in Japanese, right? Usually means like meditative concentration, concentrating the mind. But interestingly, this one ancestor of ours says um, this transmission I received arrives directly at Buddha's awareness and insight, without the need for Jhana or Zen without the need for meditative concentration, that kind of thing, or striving effort. He goes on to say, just know your own mind. Its essence is free from impermanence and permanence. Its nature is free from impurity and purity. Unmoving and complete, it is the same for sages and ordinary people. It responds freely without dualistic thought and consciousness. The whole world and all living beings manifest only from this mind. How can the moon in water or the face in the mirror actually arise or cease? So the moon in the, reflected in the water and the face reflected in the mirror, um, you could say that reflections arise and cease, but the actual moon is just a reflection. The faces in the mirror are just reflections. So the face, there's not really a face that's arising and ceasing, it's just a mirror. How could the moon in water or the face in a mirror actually arise or cease? If they're just mirror, unchanging, unarising, unceasing mirror. And he concludes this little say, this little Dharma talk by saying, if you can understand this, there's nothing you lack. And then we can, we can try to clarify this more and more deeply. We might say, and then wouldn't the point of this be then we would apply this understanding to the rest of our life, to our daily life activities? But I don't think that I wanna say it quite like that because if we're saying we're applying this understanding to our daily life, then it's kind of like making it into some kind of thing, some sort of method that we might apply okay, i got this new understanding. Everything is just the manifestation of awareness and and um, awareness itself is incapable of suffering. So um, let's apply this new understanding. But it, already it's kind of making it into something. Awareness is it's making it into maybe an experience that we could apply to other experiences. And then we kind of, we sort of, muddying it. We're we're, uh, distorting it a little bit. So rather than taking this understanding and applying it to our daily life experiences, we could take our daily life experiences, or not exactly take them, but have them, (laughs) we can have experiences and um, kind of apply the experiences to this understanding. So yeah, it's a little different and applying the understanding as a kind of tool to the experiences. It's kind of saying that this understanding is kind of like bottom line is, is kind of reality. And then um, we don't take reality and apply it to things. It's more like we try to let our experience kind of like sink into reality or experiencing with its um, with its mysterious nature that we can actually examine, and uh, so there's a there's a practice that is possible <laughs> to practice, and uh, during this time, this like. This is kind of unusual time in the history of this country and this planet, this um, pandemic time, particularly. Um, There have been, of course, pandemics in world history before, but not in our lifetime. It's a new kind of experience for us. We can apply this experience of a pandemic to, um, to this understanding of experiencing and, uh, it's been going on for a while now, like eight months or something. And it doesn't seem like it's gonna end anytime soon. So um, I hope we can not feel that we're in some sort of in-between state and you know? we're kind of waiting for the next, for, for like the real life to begin again. Because <laughs> this is our real life. And there's um, this is how it is should be waiting for some future, uh, better, non-pandemic kind of life. So um, this pandemic offers kind of unique opportunity. Uh, I mean, I, I hope none of us are sick, and uh, I hope our loved ones have not um, gotten sick with this pandemic. And so we, we, um, we wish for. Um, the healing and protection of all beings from this pandemic. I I like to include that in my daily um, dedications of merit, chanting the teachings, the protection of beings from this pandemic. And yet um, for ourselves, most of us who aren't sick, the vast majority who aren't sick, most people say the best thing we can do is um, just like... um, Actually, like, not do anything. Like, don't go out and try to do things. Try to, you know, shelter, and don't be around people so much. So um, it may be different if we're a, um, a doctor or a, uh, something like this, but for most of us, it's like the, the best word, the instruction we've got, the, the way we can help in this pandemic, most of all, is just like, stay at home and don't do much. Um, and for some people, that maybe might um, like drive them crazy. <laughs> but um, but as as um, as Zen practitioners, we can uh, see this as an opportunity because that's kind of what our practice usually is. Like is um, kind of like staying in one place and not doing much. So. Uh, we can, now we can take advantage of it. And and I don't know, each person has a unique situation. Um, I know that Zen centers are, have a lot less activity. Of course, there's some activity like right now, but um, there's less visitors. So life is simpler at most spiritual communities, churches too, and so on. Um, for some people might have less work than they did. and might, there might be fear around that, um, and if there's if there's less to do, if there's less work and less things to take care of, instead of making ourselves busy, we can use it as a almost like a, a like a pandemic retreat, like the opportunity of this unique time to actually like step back and do a little bit less than we usually do, in the name of practice and. Dharma, we can do that. We have that opportunity Uh, for whatever, whatever that means to us. But I think, in general, like, um, silence is very helpful for this kind of like exploration of reality and, um being still and doing less. All uh, these are, uh, we know this as practitioners. In fact, um, you may have heard this, this quote um, from Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French philosopher, who said that, quote, all of humanity's problems arise from the inability to sit quietly alone in a room That's that's quite a statement. All of humanity's problems, he says, arise from the inability to sit quietly alone in a room. So um, it's hard. It's hard for humans to sit quietly alone in a room. Uh, But we have that chance because um, I hope it's clear that This type of understanding we were talking about earlier is, um, of course, greatly benefits our own life of hope and fear and discontent. But um, I would propose, you know, this could be argued, that the best thing that each of us can do for all sentient beings in the world, we have this vow to save all beings, right? There's many ways we can help beings, but I think... Um, the deepest possible way is to actually um, do this practice and um, find this um, this ever-present freedom and contentment of ourselves um, I mean, Buddhism can get criticized for this kind of thing, sometimes it does, right? That's so selfish. What about all the suffering people in the world? what is suffering from this perspective? What is the, what is the end of suffering? And um, I just personally, in my own experience, and I know others are different, but um, I feel like the, the ways I've been helped most in this life are um, by other people who've explored this new perspective and, um, and have been living it and therefore transmitting it to, to me. We can't, we have to actually live it ourselves and be a living examples of um, that which is always content in the face of all kinds of total painful situations. And it's not easy. But I think that's what the, how the Buddha wanted to help all beings. Um, The main way was to like be that understanding and share it with others. So so during this kind of like pandemic time when we do have more time, I think it's really helpful to devote time, not exactly to concentrated meditation as we just heard. This kind of practice is not even um, meditative concentration. It's deep inquiry into what already is the case in every single situation. And uh, one of my teachers once suggested um, for people who like, you know, aren't living in monasteries and things like that, just ordinary people and students, he said, I think that it's great for everybody to have one day a week, like a Sabbath where it's just a practice day, like a retreat day. And I heard that many years ago and I thought it was a Brilliant idea, but I always had a, like a hard time doing it. But um, I more and more feel like um, that's a great idea, and so I've been doing it for um, for a little while. I mean, I did a long retreat recently, but um, but uh, after that retreat ended, and you know, I'm getting back into more um, uh, busy activities. Uh, Having one day a week, it's like, and that was the original meaning of the Sabbath in Judaism and Christianity, like a kind of offline day. I think being offline is a really big one. Being a day of complete silence is so great if we can swing it, and um, where we just um, can be and examine these kind of things and have the space and time to do that, and um, and. You know, we can study Dharma special Dharma that helps us clarify these deepest perspectives, take some time and uh, I don't know Everyone's situation is different and uh, you know if you're with a family you might have to get their permission or get them to join. And if, it, if a whole day is too long, maybe half a day or, or um, something like that like uh, pandemic, pandemic retreats, especially if we're less busy than we have been. Um, even though our ancestor, Sekidoki Sen said um, this, um, we just arrive at Buddha's awareness without the need for meditative concentration or striving effort, I think that's right. Um, and yet at the same time, without meditative concentration or striving effort, do seem to, it seems to be very helpful to have times where we just um, aren't doing anything else. So there's some thoughts for today. Um, I don't know if we have a little time for, for some questions. Is that okay? Uh, Jikoji
3: uh, elders. I had a question.
2: Uh, uh, let's see who? Oh yes, Karn.
3: Um, thank you for the talk. It, it almost, in the beginning, it felt like um, a journey. It felt like a walk, I and mean, just started with the experiencing and the experiences. Um, one did,
2: of you the... Follow, did you follow that? Yes. That line of inquiry? Yeah.
3: Yes. Yes. Thank you. It was wonderful. Um, and so one of the questions that arose was um, when you mentioned that uh, you talked about uh, turning the light inwards and you talked about further clarifying this understanding. So so let's say if one, uh, it, let's say if it seems to one that uh, we have arrived at that understanding of uh, experiencing, an awareness that 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 experiencing is always there when we sleep, when we think, when we mm-hmm. experience experiences. So, yeah. so what does it mean to further clarify it, or what does it mean to turn the light inwards?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think especially this. I think clarifying it is reviewing mm-hmm. reviewing this this kind of facts that you just mentioned. Of reviewing them in different situations, especially difficult situations. That's where we can, uh, uh or we might feel like, wait a second, that sounded good when we were sitting in the Zendo, but like in this real life situation, um, uh, I've lost it, I, I can't find that perspective. So that would be that would be, um, that would be a little bit more like applying the situation to the understanding, but clarifying might be, um, um, just becoming more and more um, clear and sure of these points of like it, uh, the points I mentioned today were like that it doesn't this awareness doesn't arise or cease and it has no location. Those are three um, points we can keep clarifying to become more and more sure of these. And that, so I'm not talking you into it. And then um, and then I think the the big one to clarify, and that may be most difficult and most helpful to clarify, is this point I the is is this awareness, does the experiencing or the awareness itself ever have any discontent or hope or fear? I think that is um, worth spending some time with. Because it might be that we're just feeling pretty good when we're meditating and we're like, yeah, um, I don't, I don't, there is no hope and fear right now. So, um, so that seems pretty easy. But then, what about a time when we actually do have hope, fear, and discontent? I think those are the times we can really explore. Is there an awareness that's free of those right at the same time as those? And in all different types of hope and fear and um, discontent, and starting with like a little discontent. Yeah, there's a little discontent here. It's, it's an experience happening to a person, and then there's this is vast awareness that's just experiencing that discontent. It's not changing as the experiences of contentment and discontentment change, um, and then we can warm up to more and more difficult situations. So that would be like clarifying it in in uh,
3: clarifying these
2: these experiential truths in in all kinds of different situations.
3: And what did you mean that it has no location?
2: Well, awareness, the awareness right now, right? Um, If we look for a location of this awareness, it might first seem like it's located in the body or something. I don't know if it feels like that to you. A lot of people, I think it feels like it's located either in the head or the heart or the body, or maybe even like if we suddenly stub our toe, it feels like our awareness is located in the toe. But but those locations are just experiences, right? Um, There is, there are experiences of locations, but the experiencing of those locations itself has no location. It's like, it's like space, um, which has no location, um, kind of suddenly manifesting in our toe, which is a location. See how that's so, that there are experienced locations but the experiencing is not like, we often too, we, we associate awareness with the brain. So we have, many people feel like, well, experiencing is happening in the brain but that's not our experience. That's a, I mean, that's something we heard. That's a view of um, neurology and science, but our actual experiencing, um, if we examine closely, it doesn't seem like it's something located in a brain or a head or even a body. It's again, it's a little bit more like the other way around. The experience of the body is happening in this, this um, unlocated awareness, which is a very different perspective than we're used to. We have to. And we have to kind of put aside all our ideas of neuroscience and things like this and stay with our own direct experience. Anybody else? Maybe, um, points to clarify. I think it's great. These kind of questions are great because it's it's such an unusual perspective that I think it does. Um, uh, it takes some questioning like this, questioning ourselves, and we can talk with others about it too.
4: Go ahead, Larry. Kokyo, oh, oh, first of all, let me just say, it's so nice to see you again. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in our sangha, we're studying uh, Bendoa now, and uh, Uchiyama Roshi does the commentary. And he says that when we are born, the entire world is born. And when we die, the entire world dies. That's the, because of, of experience. So yeah. if we apply that to awareness, open awareness, when, when we die, does awareness die?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that's, um, I think we, in that case, I would understand is like the person, right? Yes. Uh, the person is like a like a temporary location of this boundless awareness and when that person is born because they have sense faculties awareness itself doesn't have any sense faculties right it it has to manifest as eyes and ears to know world so you could say as soon as there's a person with eyes and ears and body and so on then the world arises with that person And when the person dies, the world dies. So um, the person and the world arise and die together. I think that sounds right. And you could say the awareness is different than the person, right? It um, doesn't, um, isn't born and doesn't die. Right. Like we, we were examining, which is already a little bit of a challenge, I think, to examine when we wake up from deep sleep and go to sleep at night to see how maybe that's not actually a awareness beginning and ending, that maybe it's actually continuing through the sleep in a subtle form, which is why we hear the alarm clock. Right? Um, so could it be that awareness not only um, continues, um, uh, I mean, not only didn't begin when we woke up, but it didn't begin at our birth. That's, that's a more challenging one. And we, I think it's pretty hard to examine because most people, even with hypnosis and things like that, um, have trouble remembering their birth and before their birth. I mean, we know, even science tells us that um, there's some kind of awareness connected with a human long before birth from the mother, right? In the womb, there's awareness. And then there's different, different stories about It's, does that begin at a certain time? And science has some stories and Buddha has different stories (laughs) and other spiritual traditions have different stories, especially around this point. But um, but it's interesting to contemplate. The more we get used to contemplating like, well, if awareness really, um, definitely it's the, the exact same awareness that's experiencing our conversation right now is the exact same awareness that was in the womb at conception for us. We can come to, I think we can come to understand that's pretty reasonable. It hasn't changed at all. but The experiences have changed a lot. Right? But what if what if we um, take this kind of experiential sense of like, does it make sense for it to begin? Like, would there been some moment where awareness in, in, the, in the womb Suddenly was like, oh, now it just began. To me, that seems like kind of a strange story. But at any rate, there can't, another way to look at it is there can't be any, um, um, we, ne- we can't have an experience of awareness arising or ceasing by definition. Because if there's an experience of it, then the experiencing continues to note this moment, right, of beginning or ending. So, um, so we can open from our own investigations of our own experiencing to the possibility that um, maybe it's not um, this awareness is not something that ever, ever began or ever, ever ends. Although the the types of experience change dramatically, especially around these transitional periods we call birth and death.
4: Thank you, Calcutta. Uh, yeah, because you know uh, all the you know in transmission of the light, the ancestors talk about what is unborn and undying. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> You know, I think it must have something to do with dependent origination and in our interconnectedness that allows one to contemplate the the unborn and undying nature. So, but I'm I'm, I'm trying to work with that yeah. a little. I could say the dependent arising. Is that is the constant
2: change of ex- flow of experiences. Dependent yeah. arising is the realm of birth and death, and it allows us to hear these teachings and pass along these teachings and so on. And then you could say that the um, the awareness itself, the experiencing, is a realm outside dependent arising. Yeah. It's the realm of no arising and no ceasing. Thank you. But outside, maybe it's hard to put into words exactly, but it's, it's a, you could say it's a realm that's free from dependent arising, but also inseparable from dependent arising. Just like the mirror that um, never changes is inseparable from the
4: uh,
2: from the arising and ceasing interdependent images on it. So, a good time to conclude. Thank you all for coming onto the big screen today, and the presence and attention and practice, and, uh, any any um, positive kind of contentment or um, opening um, or joy that may have arisen. Um, in our gathering today, may we offer it and share it with all beings throughout space and time, especially uh, all those um, um, caught up in the swirling uh, confusion of discontent, hope and fear and other experiences. May all beings uh, discover turning around of the light that illuminates the realm from which all experiences arise. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them, dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them, Who does ways unsurpassable, I vow to be coming.
1: Right on, Mike. Can you hear me now, Kokyo? Oh, yes. Hi. Ah. Mike, good Hi. to see you. Good to see you. Thank you so much for your talk. And uh, we're going to excuse ourselves to have lunch. and um, But the conversation can continue, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So the conversation can continue online, everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you again
2: Kokio very much. You're welcome. Sorry to miss that you told you lunch.
4: <laughs>
1: Save you some leftovers.
2: Thank
4: you. <laughs>
1: I'd like to revisit this topic with you again soon.
2: Yeah, sure. feel like it's always the same topic anyway, so
3: could happen. Is everybody uh, um,
2: doing okay in the Koji Sangha?
1: The saga is, the little saga is doing well, but we're, um, we're missing everyone. Yeah. The face-to-face-ness is, is, uh, is missed and, uh, but thankfully we have this, this opportunity to meet in Zoom Land, in this fast Zoom Land. Thanks to uh, Nico and Doug and, Mm -hmm. getting this together so um, the extended saga thank you very much and please continue your conversation
2: if you like how about anyone else in um california is the smoke um it's
5: been getting it's been up and down uh we had a couple good days Mm -hmm. i'm in sonoma county i don't know people South Bay, I think, oh. uh, Oregon's bearing the brunt of it now.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
5: The highest it got here, where I live, was uh, close to 300, and 50, up to 50 is considered green. So it was like in black range. But Oregon, my colleague, he said it was 500 over there, which is, you know, oh. be off, off, off the charts. Yeah, yeah, but,
2: uh, for a long time too. Yeah.
5: I actually had a question to ask you, if it's okay. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
5: I actually have many questions, but I will it down to one. Um, so it seems like experiencing an experience need each other. I mean, there would be no uh, experiencing without an experience.
2: That's a great point. Thanks for bringing that
5: up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm trying to. I'm trying to. I'll I'll ask you something about this 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 uh, so because what you talked although about.
2: Was, although I would say um, one thing just came to mind about that. Yeah. That, um, it's usually that's the case that they're yeah they're inseparable like the mirror and its images, but an interesting a, an interesting thing to contemplate there is this issue of deep sleep. Deep dreamless sleep. Right? Mm-hmm. It, could it be that there is experiencing like an awareness present, kind of a subtle awareness present, but there's no experience happening because there's no conceptual thought, there's no sensory input?
5: I see. I guess it depends. I guess it depends on maybe I misunderstood what you mean by experience because. Um, Oh I guess <laughs> so now,
2: <laughs> any event that we can that we but that arises and ceases in a certain time and certain location, and that um maybe we could even say that we remember i mean there are experiences we don't remember to right if it's kind of registered as like this we can say this is happening
5: right so 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 you know like uh. Emptiness and form, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. like,
5: em- emptiness, it seems like when you mentioned the analogy of the chair, feeling, feeling your butt on the chair,
4: mm-hmm.
5: uh, that's one experience out of emptiness. It seems like form comes out of emptiness repeatedly in various forms. In various forms, actually, but
2: if we we say emptiness is like this kind of space, like awareness, yeah, okay. To say that form comes out of it, there's other versions of emptiness that are more just like the absence of any um, conceptual construct, and uh, or you know, emptiness as um, non-existence. And if we just talk about it, emptiness in that way, then it maybe sounds funny to say form comes out of
5: emptiness. If, in, both in which way? In which way? Sorry, in which way?
2: You can say that emptiness is just the absence of any um, independent existence.
5: Yeah, that's 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 my. I I don't want I don't want to be heretical, but that's my. Uh, what can I say? That's my. Uh, understanding, let's put it this way, that's when I look at it, that's that's the way I, I, I feel that that's, that's actually the case, that uh, they yeah, are both, they are both, could, they are both, so it's like this container, uh, mm-hmm. it's like this this potential, and then out of it, you know, popcorn pops up, in very,
2: uh-huh.
5: you know, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you I,
2: know. Think that, I think if we say that emptiness is like this kind of um. <clears throat> Aware cognizing emptiness the way we were talking about today, then um, I think that's right. That, that you could say things pop out of it the way I was saying it today was that it manifests as okay, which is almost yeah,
5: different. yeah, I see what you mean, but pop out, I don't, it's still within the emptiness, it's exactly, it, it's not separate from it. Right. And neither is emptiness separate from that, from that form. It seems like, it, that's right. because, because otherwise, we're talking about God. If he, if he, if he, if he, if he, then it becomes God, right? Then emptiness becomes God. If you,
2: he... I don't know. That's that's another discussion.
5: Okay, or right. Also, <laughs>
2: I could just say that I did say earlier, right, that we um, could say an experience of say the um, sensation in the butt. Um, that is a manifestation of awareness because there's nothing to that sensation other than the awareness of it but we can also say from the other so it's kind of saying that emptiness is form then from the other side we could say the nature of that sensation in the butt is nothing other than the awareness its true nature is the empty awareness of it so that's the side of form is emptiness. emptiness
5: yeah EMPTINESS IS EXACTLY FORM. FORM IS EXACTLY EMPTINESS. THAT'S THE EXACT PORT.
2: Yeah, they're they're inseparable. Inseparable. we can talk about the two different, um, we we have two different words for them, right? And as I was saying earlier, I think it's really helpful to make this distinction, which is an unusual distinction, between the experience of discontent and then experiencing that has no discontent. And you could say, well, shouldn't we not make a distinction? But that's a case where, in reality, they're inseparable, the discontent and the awareness of the discontent. But in practice, it's very helpful, I think, to just, to like, um, see see how there are two different ways of um, uh, looking at one reality, because if we don't do that, then we can't find the unborn, the undying. The, Okay. The, um, the unsuffering.
5: Okay, I have. I'm sorry. I'll just, I, what you said, I have three or something in my head. Uh, uh, I just ask this one thing, and I'll, then I'll, I'll let others ask. Uh, you know, uh, in the in the in the in the in the harmony of the relative absence, Sandokai that we just we just uh, chanted or minutes ago, uh, it says. The spiritual source is bright, but the branching streams flow in the darkness. Could it be that the spiritual source is dark, but the f- branching streams flow in brightness? Because what I mean is, uh, there is. this is this, is as far as I, my cognition goes, and I can't, which is that there is a point beyond which, deeper than that, you can't find anything, and if that's the source, that source is dark to me. Like, and
2: that, I have, like saying there's emptiness separate from form. What are you saying that they're always together?
5: What I mean is, oh, that's a great point. Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. What well, I don't know, I, I can't I can't respond to what you just said. But what I am I'll think about it.
2: Yeah, and, unless we're talking yeah. about like deep dreamless sleep, where you could say maybe that's the realm of emptiness with no form.
5: And dark, and dark in that place.
2: And, and of course, deep sleep the source right. being,
5: If that's the source, that's dark to us, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, so I guess the reason I'm asking light.
2: this... Dark and light are kind of like metaphors. Metaph- okay. I
5: know, but I... <laughs> uh, I guess, okay, the reason I'm asking this is because are we fooling ourselves it's like mirrors it's like an image in the mirror multiple mirrors you know like how many levels do we want to go back like i think that um,
2: sometimes people talk about like where well, you can be aware of being aware and then you can yeah be aware how many
5: levels do you want to
2: be aware of not being aware but i think that's a um a kind of a problem i don't think that then like something infinitely or there's some deeper and deeper i think it's nice to look at it more like no, there's just this ordinary awareness right now. Okay. And there's not, there can't be anything behind it. It's as far back as it goes. We can have different kinds of experience. We can have deep meditations and different states of mind. But you could say the experiencing, the more we examine it, the more we can see like there can't be anything um, behind
5: that. Right. Yeah, I understood. Because if you, if you go that way, it quickly reaches insanity, I think. Maybe you can. Yeah, yeah.
2: But you could say that there might be levels and levels of experience, like a lot of spiritual traditions say there's a, you know, a gross body and a subtle body and an even more subtle body, and these levels. But these are levels of experience, subtle experience. But you could say, once, once we're talking about the experiencing basic awareness, which is actually very ordinary, it's what's happening for everybody right now. I would propose the more we examine that, the more it seems like there can't be anything behind it. There's no deeper than that. And, what's, and the good news about this is the deepest possible you know, um, reality is present right now. It's not hidden. That's what's even more awesome. But, the, but in terms of spiritual experience, there can be all kinds of subtle experiences of an individual consciousness. So to do you wanna? Oh, how about Randy? Since haven't spoken yet. Oh, gotta unmute.
0: Okay, I pushed the right button. You got me now.
1: Okay.
0: Um, one of the things you said, uh, which I, I found very interesting in, in terms of a, approach, is is I think you said this. I think I wrote it down right. Applying experiences to understanding instead of vice versa. Mm -hmm. And and the first way feels like there's a lot of freedom to to live, Mm -hmm. to make mistakes, to feel what you're... And the other way seems like understanding... uh, You reverse it. Understanding, uh, applying understanding to trying to make your experiences conform with understanding, which mm-hmm. seems almost verging on dogma, or, yeah, hard or hard. heading down a path that of incredible self-consciousness. I, I, I don't know, maybe I got this all wrong.
2: No, I think it's similar. Like as I was saying, um, the thing of applying this understanding is kind of making it into something. Which is another way of, t- of saying dogma, right? Yeah. Um, make make a direct experience into a um, a kind of conceptualized version. That's what I think dogma is, usually refers to. And so I think that's a good that's a good way of saying it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it it made me think when you're talking along this thing, of uh, and I'll finish with this uh, of uh, the. Exp- expression I've heard, Buddhas that aren't aware that they're Buddhas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who said, maybe Dogen said a lot of stuff, but, yeah, it, but it made me think of my, my wife handed me a poem of Rilke this morning. And I read that and it kind of blew my mind. Um, and he's one character that I think his um, experiences were a source of that understanding that he had about life, of just being keenly aware of what he was observing and, and, and doing, and not a Buddhist. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. what Shogun actually says is: um, Buddhas do not necessarily notice that they are Buddhas, however, they huh. are actually Buddhas. Yeah. So, okay. I got that. He says, not necessarily because it kind of means, well, they can actually know that they're Buddhist. Okay. Great. Like, Thank you. So, like, Buddha, you know, like, um, he knew he was a Buddha. He said things like that. Like, I am the awakened one.
4: Yeah, that's possible. too. I see Karin wants to jump in.
3: Um, uh, one of one of the questions that arose, Kokio, was um, so we spoke about um, experiencing our awareness, and that this is where we experience the experiences, which comes from our senses, and all that that happens to us. So, and that this experiencing uh, is kind of unborn, ever present, not local. Doesn't arises and ceases, and so I was wondering, like outside of uh, us uh, living beings, uh, can we say that a rock or uh, is has the same thing? This uh, uh, this awareness or experiencing that you talk about.
2: I think one way to to look at that is to say that um, again, going back to say that. It's not really that that people and sentient beings have this awareness because that's almost like saying it's kind of inside us, but it's more the other way around. It's like there's, there's an awareness that has sentient beings or manifests as sentient beings. So um, if we say it like that, then it's not so much like a question of, which types of things have awareness like rocks, which is kind of like panpsychism, is this kind of theory that that all things have some kind of awareness. But this view is a little different than panpsychism because panpsychism is based on the idea that um, things have awareness, that that people have awareness. Where from this model, it's not so much that people have awareness. It's more that um, awareness takes the form of what we call a, a person. But there's well, if we look for a person other than the experiencing of a person, we can't find that, that person. So that you could say that the nature of a person is nothing but experiencing. And then and then so you could say rocks are also manifestations of experiencing or awareness, but it's not so much that they are aware. If the rock is aware of us. I don't think it's like that. It's more like um, we see, it may be that even that a rock need, needs a sentient being to manifest in order for the rock to manifest. See so yeah, that, yeah, how that could be? That um, obviously There's an experiencing of for looking at a rock, we are experiencing the rock. So you could say the nature of that rock is experiencing, but for that to happen, there needs to be a sentient being. Um it's also an that's also a um, manifestation of experiencing in order to have the experiencing
3: of a rock. Hmm. This may be a little tricky, but. I get the sense. I, I really do. Um, when you mentioned, like, I think, the, like, when I was looking at it initially, I was looking at, as in awareness was something like my property. And is the wrong Yeah,
2: uh, that's normal that we do that, right?
3: Yes. But, okay. but that's why
2: it's so radical to reverse this understanding and say that awareness yeah. not, is not a property of this human person.
3: Yes I'm going to let that go, then I can see that um, that rock can be awareness in its own way, um, just like I am awareness in my own way
2: yeah, so it, like with like um, Larry said earlier, Utyama Roshi says that when we are born, then the world and the rocks are born with us, and when we die, the rocks um, cease also. I think that's right from a kind of um Experiential point of view, but since there's somebody else, there's some other sentient being after we die that can that um, that keeps the rock alive. Right. If no sentient beings in the universe, then um, I think it's fair to say that there wouldn't be a universe for sentient beings.
3: But the universe would be there. That's what I mean by universe is only a, an idea of extension beings. Right.
2: Right. Like we might say, well, isn't there a real universe apart from our idea of it? We can't go there, right? Because all we have is our idea of it. That also gets kind of far out, but we also might say, it's not that there's nothing that's going too far. If there weren't any ascension beings, there'd be nothing. That's another idea. Right, right. A sentient idea. It's more like total mystery. It's in, it's literally inconceivable. If there were no conception, then what's left
3: is literally inconceivable. And whatever the conception would be, it would be within that. And so it can never. The conception can never be it. Um, however, we conceive it. Is no yeah the
2: conception is never the reality of
4: yeah
2: or it's 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 a limited version of reality.
4: Mm -hmm. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Well, shall we call it a day?
4: Call it a day. Thank you, Kokio.
2: We know it's not really a day, but we can call it that.
4: It's not really a day, and we're in different day parts anyway. So it's all existing simultaneously and (laughs) seriously and in parallel. Thank you. Thank you all for your enthusiasm.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma
0: talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma.
1: For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.